This is Observations QO Podcast for what is this, Friday? Yeah, it is Friday. I guess we do it every Friday. That would well that would tend to make sense. It is the 6th of August, however, 2021. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Michael Wade. And um well, it it now appears that the Constitution of the United States, at least as far as the presidency is concerned, is a completely dead letter. We now have a president that says, yeah, this is unconstitutional. I know it's unconstitutional. I'm going to do it anyway. What are you going to do about it? And the answer, apparently, nothing. Yeah, I, I wonder who had uh, picked Biden for, oh, Mr. Roberts has made his decision. Now let's see him enforce it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the Supreme Court is, is, I mean, I don't even see how Roberts can sign on to saying, yeah, this is this is absolutely illegal but we're going to let you get away with it. I mean, he, he kind of pulled that in ACA with a, a uh, what, what do they call that uh, in law school? A sophistry of reason? <laughs> I think they call that outside of law school. In law school, they, they call it a switcheroo. <laughs> That's a legal term, by the way. Yeah, you can well, use that. Switcheroo or sophistry, it, it all comes out to the same thing. Uh, we don't give a shit what the Constitution says because we prefer this outcome. We prefer, by the way, to entirely suspend your property rights. I, I've never understood how any of this was legal. Um, and the Supreme Court decided it wasn't legal. I actually understand Kavanaugh's reasoning that, look, we're not going to rip the rug out from under you. Um, it's coming to an end anyway, so the, the case will be moot. Um so, fine. It is illegal. It is unconstitutional. But the equities demand that uh, we at least let it play out for another month or so. And then, you know, you, you need to have something else. It has to actually be tied to. And I don't even think a congressional action would be constitutional, to be honest. Um, I, I don't know what power that Congress has to. Uh, suspend property rights, at least without paying for it. Yeah, there's there's something called the compensation uh, that is, nobody is getting. Now, of course, the answer of the White House is, well, you know, landlords can get the same assistance that uh, renters are getting. Well, well yeah, they, they can get some Yeah, big deal. They can get some assistance, so they'll go bankrupt slower, uh, but <laughs> nobody's paying their mortgage. Well, and that's the problem. Uh, you know, and then the mortgage companies are also on the the the, the hook here because, you know, it, it's just like the housing crisis. Um, you know, you expect a certain stream of income coming in based on these things. And you have contingencies based on being able to, uh, you know, seize the property, seize the proceeds, whatever it is. Uh, if they're not getting that, then their portfolios are shrinking. And you're undermining a large amount of financial uh, business in this country. Renting landlords, uh, I mean, it's a huge amount of business. I mean, it's so huge that literally anybody can get into it. Matter of fact, I know a lot of like plumbers, um, construction guys. Uh, especially because, you know, they build the houses and whatever. 
and then they you know, you know they'll rent them out and they make some money off that that's extra income well what happens when those guys are, are you know they're not making huge amount of monies uh, they are you know they're blue collar workers and now they're getting stiffed how about the the grandma that's renting out um you know a basement apartment or a you know first floor apartment and she lives upstairs you know that's a lot of people and they can't collect they can't make their property uh uh, uh their real estate uh taxes they can't make uh, their mortgage and it's all because of this moratorium that I, I find nothing in the Constitution that supports the ability of either the president or the Congress to institute. I, I, I just don't know where this authority supposedly comes from. Well, Joe Biden has, as Obama once famously said, a phone and a pen. Yeah, right. I mean, this is seriously the third term of Obama. Uh, he, he enacted DAPA and DACA. Um, even though he said before, well, you know, I don't have that power. Well, then he just went ahead and did it. And it's been absolutely mind boggling to see the court say, well, you can't unwind it with just an executive order. Really? Because it was created with an executive order. It's been ruled unconstitutional, at least two courts. Um, what, well, now what, let's not all talk about what court said <laughs> who was unconstitutional to whom. <laughs> Which, you know, I, 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 I guess we have now graduated to the British form of government, um, where we have... In a lot of ways, yeah. Rather than an unwritten constitution that everybody kind of, sort of agrees to live by, we now have a written constitution that nobody agrees to live by. We, but basically, you're in the same place. Yeah, where the president is basically the prime minister, takes over the legislative functions... And does whatever uh, the hell he wants to do. Yep. Yeah. Well, of course, there are some things that Joe Biden apparently doesn't want to do. Uh, One of which is to stop the flow of immigrants over the southern border. And the second of which, even if he doesn't stop them, um, why not test them for COVID? Well, we don't want to do either of those two things. That phone Mm -hmm. and that pen doesn't help out with that. No, I mean, look, the Democrats have all but said, and actually some of them have outright said, we want the new voters. That's what they want. And that's what this has always been about, to flood the country with uh, new potential Democratic voters and to overwhelm the system. That's all they have ever been about when it comes to the border. Um, for them to be casting aspersions, the White House specifically, on places like Florida and Texas, which are admittedly going through some, you know, some trials and tribulations with, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it a surge, but certainly an uptick, a serious uptick in uh, COVID cases without acknowledging that they're allowing in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of illegal immigrants who are constantly testing positive and spreading it throughout these uh, exact same regions. Matter of fact, uh, Abbott had, uh, uh, Governor Greg Abbott uh, of Texas had signed uh, an executive order um, saying that you, you can't 
except for federale, <laughs> using the Mexican term, um, you cannot uh, transport people who are illegal immigrants and possibly infected with COVID uh, to other parts of Texas and thereby possibly spread um, COVID. Well, the DOJ sued and actually got a, a TRO in Texas at the district court level uh, to stop that executive order because they claim it interferes with their ability to uh, govern uh, immigration as well as to or, uh, apply th their foreign policy, which is bullshit. It's absolute bullshit, but the court bought it. Yeah, it, it more precisely restricts their ability not to enforce immigration. Exactly. And so, you know, I, at least Ron DeSantis, for, for all the good it's going to do him with the media, said, look, until you get a handle on immigration and, and thousands of COVID-positive immigrants coming in, I don't want to hear a blip from you about, about COVID. I, amen. You know, Ron DeSantis is turning out to be a very nice choice to Trump. Um, he's a clean guy. He, he's, uh, he doesn't do mean tweets. <laughs> but he does fight like Trump. And he has no compunction against going after the media and going after the White House. And I think that's a really good sign um, for 2024. Well, well, we'll see, because I doubt he's going to be facing Biden in 2024. Well, that's true. But who is he going to be facing? It's not going to be Kamala or Kamala. I don't know how you say her name anymore. Why? She'll be president of the United States. In fact, she may very well be president of the United States before the end of this year. Forget 2024. <laughs> that is a possibility. Um, I, The Democrats don't seem to like her, which is why she got zero <laughs> you know, uh, delegate votes. By the way, there was another story this week. <laughs> How unlikable do you have to be? To ask Hillary Clinton's people for advice on how to make people like you. Right. You know, that's if, if the bar's already set that low, can I be at least as likable as Hillary Clinton? <laughs> You're going to have to do some feigning spells uh, <laughs> and probably have at least an email controversy. Uh, so, you know, she, she's, you know, as, as Bruce and I said last week, um, stupid, arrogant, and vindictive. That that is a that is a set of qualities that you don't want in a chief executive. No, and and the thing is, she's never run anything well. Uh, I mean, nothing, literally nothing. She has no uh, in her Senate career, short as it has been, uh, much like Obama. She has no signatory initiatives or bills or anything. Um, as her, her time as AG in, uh, in California, I mean, it went to pot. She almost did literally nothing except, you know, throw parents in jail because their kids didn't go to school. Um, I mean, she's never been competent. She's never been likable. She's never been, uh, 
at all astute or penetrating. I mean, she's she's got nothing on the ball. The only reason she has the job she has now is because she's black. Well, black-ish. Yeah, black-ish. And she got picked by Joe Biden. Now she's the vice president, who, by the way, has taken to walking into rooms ahead of the president. Yes. <laughs> what is the Harris-Biden administration yeah exactly so you know this this whole um you know this whole thing with the immigration was it seven thousand uh immigrants that just dumped off in McAllister, texas of, of whom i believe 1800 were covid positive right yeah mccallan yeah well that they know of yeah and and, and now you're 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 going to go after you know abbott and desantis desantis for their covid problem well yeah. But of course, you know, if if, if uh, again, if we had an objective media, people would be able to compare and contrast policies. Well, that's right. And if we had people who were actually trying to get to the best solution, then we would discard the ones that have not ever worked. But we don't. We, we have uh, really both parties, I think. Uh, keep pushing these policies that are socialist in nature and they have never been proven to work. The government does not to be need to be in charge of everything. Matter of fact, it's much better if you let people just do what they do. Look, we have Sweden as a great example. Sweden of all freaking places, which is by no means a free market haven. But compared to how we are now, it's starting to look that way. Uh, it's also a very, um, culture wise, it's a very amenable and sociable culture that, you know, everybody kind of goes along to get along. Um, it's very homogenous in a lot of ways, but the way they dealt with COVID has turned out to be the best way to deal with COVID. I mean, they had a big spike back, uh, in 2020. They had a minor spike a little bit la after that, but they never in introduced mandates, and they're now zero. Well, I, I do want to talk about COVID because there's been a, a fair amount of news about it this week. But before I do that, I do want to briefly discuss uh, Andrew Cuomo, who uh, yeah. the attorney general came up with 11 different women who she found uh, credible allegations that he had broken the law and sexually harassed these women, broken both state and federal law, I mean, not to the point where she was going to prosecute him or anything, but, you know, still. She looked pretty, at it from the civil side, yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty bad stuff. And uh, Andrew Cuomo, of course, when faced with this, um, and he just pulled you know the, a page out of the Ralph Northam playbook. Well, you know, my job is to be governor of, of New York, and I am not going to be turned away from my job by distractions, unless, of course, apparently the distractions has a nice set of tits. But... <laughs> He's, well, I can understand that. But he's, he says, I'm going nowhere. And so he's now daring the New York legislature to impeach him. And they're now, uh, I think they've issued him, I don't know what it is when it comes out. It's a, basically a subpoena, I think, or a show cause type order. Um, telling him, you know, present the facts as to why you shouldn't be impeached. I mean, that's strong coming from a democratically, completely democratically owned uh, uh, legislature, um, all the 
surrounding Democratic uh, governors have called on him to resign. Even Biden half-heartedly called on him to resign. Um, what was the quote that Biden had? Yeah, I'm sure some of those hugs were just, you know, they were perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I, I loved <laughs> I loved Andrew Cuomo's presentation about why this was all a bunch of bullshit. He said, look, here, am I, here I am hugging and kissing black people and atheists and Christians and Jews and... <laughs> Uh, it can't be harassment when I harass everyone. And then today, and then today, his statement was basically, "Well, I can provide a, the, the names of a thousand people who've never seen me uh, harass anyone." Yeah, okay. It was like something out of a South Park episode when he put that video up there. It's like, do you understand? This is not helping your case. This is kind of proving the other case. Oh, what an idiot! Yeah, but, you know, he has a pure heart. Well, you know, he's so bad that the Kennedys hate him. <laughs> he was married to a Kennedy at one point. I think the happiest man in America this week is Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City. Yeah, right. All the pressure's taken off him for what a shitty job he's doing. And he hates Andrew Cuomo. Which is so funny because, I mean, they're, they're peas in the same pod. Well, maybe that's the whole root of the problem. Yeah, maybe. I mean, too much alike. uh, Well, yeah. I mean, it was the dominance for um, uh, communism, Marxism, uh, back in the eighteen eighties, eighteen seventies, was between Marxists. (laughs) They were constantly sniping at each other. I mean, Trotsky. Hell, he, he ended up getting killed. Yeah, well, you know, the, the whole Menshevik-Bolshevik split in the the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. The yeah, Mensheviks got the short end of that stick. Yes, they did. <laughs> or the long end of the but hammer, as in Trotsky's case. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, look, it, it, it's it's actually kind of fun to see the left eating its own. But at the same time, Who's actually doing anything? You know, I mean, I'm perfectly happy to have these idiots sidelined and not able to do anything. You know, I look at, at Texas and they're not, uh, you know, you got the Democrats in in exile and they're not able to pass anything. I, I, you know, uh, that sort of makes me sort of happy. I, I would much rather uh, that any legislative body meets for maybe three four months a year and that's it well let's go back to old school yeah well it'd be nice for something like that to happen in congress simply so that we can avoid spending more money on a single infrastructure bill than the entire 2019 federal budget right i mean it's uh it's really not disheartening it's infuriating frankly to see how these spendthrifts will blow through our money on things that we don't want, we don't need. I mean, there are millions of dollars being spent. Well, not yet, but in this infrastructure bill in order to find out how to tax us more by uh, charging us mileage driven. Are you fucking kidding me? They want to put um, one of the other uh, little nuggets in there is that they want to put uh, 
those vapor lock things in, into every new car. So you can't start your car unless uh, you blow into a tube and prove that you aren't uh, at a certain level of uh, inebriation. Everyone, every new car. Really? Is that is that the federal government's job? I, I seem to miss that part in the Constitution. Yeah, well, look, you know, the fundamental problem, and we've been talking about this since the 1980s, and and this is and the fact that we have is is the fundamental problem. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan campaigned in 1980, um, just having to hide to his fainting couch every five minutes because the national debt reached one trillion dollars. And when he walked out of office eight years later, it was four. Right. And so we have, since the 1980s, had a whole bunch of people at various times telling us we cannot spend money like this. We are spending money that we don't have. It is going to crush our economy if we keep allowing this debt. And the economy kept not being crushed. We had some sort of nod towards fiscal discipline during the you know late 1990s with a Republican Congress and a Democratic president who agreed to more or less balance the budget, although they did not, in fact, cut the national debt. They at least restricted to some, attempt, to, to yeah. some extent its, its rate of growth. Since then, since 9-11, spending has exploded. We're now 30 trillion dollars in debt. But we have heard for the past, well, I mean, since 1980. So we are now 40 years into this debt is going to crush us and it's never crushed us. And therefore, it must never be going to crush us. And so let's just keep spending money and spending money and spending money. And we've gotten into such a, a horrible habit of spending money that we don't have. There appears to be no way to stop it. Every single problem that appears in this country appears to be a problem that will only be solved through the application of vast sums of money from the federal government. And sooner or later, this merry-go-round is going to stop. It Just because it hasn't stopped for the last 40 years doesn't mean that it won't. This level of spending and debt cannot go on forever. And there's a very simple axiom. Things that cannot go on forever won't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, we'll, we'll, and now we're seeing the rise of modern uh, monetary uh, theory that posits it doesn't matter because the government can always print more money. And the merry-go-round like, will never stop. Right. So it, it, it completely uh, elides past inflation, and the inflation doesn't matter. It's not even a real thing because we'll just print more money. And it's it's this disconnect um, that worries me, and that people actually buy this stuff. And there are a lot of them uh, in the treasury, uh, in the government, all over, uh, in in several of the Federal Reserves, uh, certainly in Congress. The idea that well, we can just always print money, and it's like you understand that this that's not how it works <laughs> like that we've seen this before we've seen it just recently we saw it in venezuela just recently you can't just do that I and mean, venezuela got to the point where it couldn't even buy the bills the actual paper bills in order to print you know, money 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's an insane idea, but it, that seems to be where we're headed. And I have noticed the inflation. I've noticed it in the gas prices. I've noticed it definitely in the grocery store. By the way, one um, of the quickest turn, turnarounds of Fed statements I, I can uh, imagine, uh, which took place in, in the space of two weeks. This inflationary bump is transitory. And two right. weeks later, well, this inflationary bump may be around longer than we originally right. anticipated. We see it persisting a little bit longer than we thought. <laughs> yeah, so do I. I see it persisting the same way that it persisted in 1973 to 1981. That's exactly how I see it. I mean, I don't know how else you, I mean, honestly, I would love for somebody to explain to me how it can possibly not go that way. I would love to have an actual um, reasonable theory as to how that's going to be tamped down. Now, I know one of them is going to be because the Treasury is holding most of these T-bills. But I mean, we've talked about that yeah. in nausea. Yeah. By the way, and by the way, I think that's the only thing that's saving us is that the the Treasury is holding uh, of that thirty trillion dollars. The, the 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 Fed is holding five of it. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. But now we're seeing interest rates rise. Um, the, the government's going to have to get on board. And and again, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Yeah, if that, you know, if that right 10 year treasury can't... yield goes back up to 5%, we're in for a world of hurt on the federal budget. Right. We go from spending, I think it's something like 300 to 500 billion a year on just debt service. And we're going to have to change those treasuries in, right? Because, I mean, this is how it works Th- those treasuries end. And then you have to buy new ones or you have to exchange them for new ones in order to finance our debt. So it's going to come with the new interest rates. And then that could pump it up to as easily one and a half trillion in just debt service per year. Yeah. And, and, and if you do not pay that debt service, that's a default. You think inflation is bad now? Default on the bond. Right. And, and by the way, this is and. Uh, uh, one of our listeners, Captain Vimes, uh, threw this in there, and I wanted to bring this up. Part of this infrastructure bill is the uh, well, a fairly draconian regulation of cryptocurrency. I saw that, yeah. And the only justification I can think of for that level of regulation of cryptocurrency, and of course they're going to throw in, well, you know, cryptocurrency can be used by criminals, and we have no way of track it. So, you know, this is all for your benefit. No, it's not. It's for the Treasury's benefit. Because That's if cryptocurrency exactly right. becomes, you know, relatively well accepted, and the fact that the the, the physical growth of, of all of the cryptocurrencies is limited, is technically limited. You simply can't just in, expand the money supply in cryptocurrency in the same way that you can with a fiat currency. If people start thinking, hey, maybe this Bitcoin deal, maybe that would be a decent reserve currency because it seems to hold value. Now, clearly, there's been a lot of price variations in Bitcoin. There's, there's obviously some things that need to be worked out. But I, I think that the, the Treasury is, is scared shitless of the idea of using Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or whatever it may be as a reserve currency and denominating all of their trade deals now in Bitcoin and just taking those electronic payments. If people aren't doing uh, dollar-denominated deals and the dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, all that money's going to come back here. 
Nobody's right. going to want to be left holding dollars. They're going to trade that into the forex market. You think inflation is bad now? Um, exactly. I, I always think of of uh, you know, Germany in the 1920s, where ultimately it uh, it it literally became cheaper just to burn banknotes in your kitchen stove than it was to go buy firewood for cooking. Yeah, I tried to explain to somebody the other day about how, like, in the Weimar Republic, you had to get paid twice a day because the inflation was so great that if you didn't get paid at the beginning of the day, you would not make as much money if you got waited till the end of the day. And you still had to get paid at the end of the day because the next day was going to be even worse. And people, you know, wheeling around uh, wheelbarrows of money to buy bread because it was so inflated. But the thing is, we don't even have to go back that far. Zimbabwe had the same problem. Venezuela has recently had the same problem. I mean, these are classically known uh, monetary problems. And they are classically known <laughs> what the, the, the uh, instigators of it are. And yet we're just throwing caution to the wind and doing the same thing over and over again. We literally know why and how it happens. And we keep doing the same thing. It is impossible right. for governments not to debase the currency. Right. It, which is just stupidity. Well, as Einstein would have said, it's, you know, it's insanity. Insanity. And so, you know, we're just, we're just watching all that happen and, and we're not stopping it in Washington, D.C. We're going to keep spending that money until, well, you know, wouldn't you like to spend, what was it, the old uh, uh, Saturday Night Live thing with Dan Aykroyd? We did the Jimmy Carter inflation is our friend speech. <laughs> wouldn't you like to wear $300 salutes and, uh, suits and smoke $75 cigars? I know I would. Well, how about a, how about a $300 million suit? And $75 million cigars. Back when they actually went after everybody. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I have some measure of concern. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we've been talking about this for uh, literally a decade. Uh, yeah, a little since, more. Since 2009, when I did yeah. the, when I did, you know, King Eddie's funeral, the King Eddie's funeral post. Yeah. And I mean, it's taken a while um, because, you know, the Fed found some tricks, but it, it, it's only prolonging the, the end result. The problem it's is not... that these systems have so much inertia built into them. Mm -hmm. This is the system, right? This is how everything works. This is the way things have always worked. So I'm going to assume that this is the way things always will work. And nobody wants to address any of these problems or try to come to grips with them until the way things always worked no longer works. And so you have this enormous amount of, of institutional inertia where nobody's even thinking uh, about the unthinkable. And it works. And that's the trouble, as I've said before, with monetary policies. You know, monetary systems work right up until the point that they don't. Right. Well, you know, in a microcosm, it's the same thing as Biden uh, pushing these uh, CDC rules on the, the eviction moratorium. Like, I can buy some time. And that's what our monetary policy has been since the 90s, is let's buy some time. Actually, really, since the 80s, uh, if we're going to be completely honest, um, we'll, we'll just buy some time. We'll push it down the road and we'll patch over uh, you know these inconsistencies and these anomalies and we'll just patch it over 
and we can always borrow. We've, we've got the strongest currency in the world. Um, we can always borrow money and we'll just keep pushing it down the road until we get really strong. And then we'll, you know, we'll make it up in volume. <laughs> yeah. We lose money on every, uh, we lose money on every sale, but we make it up in volume. And I'm right now looking at the fed balance sheet. Um, and I said it was five trillion. I was way wrong on that. As of uh, August fourth, total assets uh, eight eight uh, billion. I'm sorry, eight trillion two hundred and forty billion five hundred and thirty million dollars. So eight point two trillion is sitting in the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. Right. Which, by the way, they can never unwind. No, I mean, what are they going to do with it? I mean, I mean, anything they can, the only thing they can do is push dollars out into the economy. That's literally their only thing. They can't lower interest rates anymore. No. And of course, um, having all of those—I mean, imagine if the Fed released eight point two trillion in in bonds into the secondary market. Oh, you're paying twelve dollars for gas. You're paying, um, you know, fifteen dollars for a gallon of milk. I mean, it, it's thirty-year it, fixed it's mortgage of twenty-one percent. Oh yeah, you you literally don't even buy your house. You're buying half your house. Now, on the other hand, for those of us who have existing mortgages, we can pay them off for the cost of a nice hat. That's right. <laughs> Assuming that you get some sort of uh, uh, raise that's equivalent to the, the actual inflation, and that's never been true, uh, so no, you're you're still going to be behind. You're going to lose uh, market competency of, of probably about twenty five to thirty five percent ease of just off the top, and some people are even being worse off. Yeah. So. Uh... And on top of all of that, we have COVID. Right. Which, I'm just done with it. I'm absolutely done with this shit. It is no more lethal than the flu. Um, It's way less lethal than, like, smallpox. Um, It's getting, and here's the thing that, that kills me. You know, oh, well, there's all these variants. Like, do you know how viruses work? They don't become more lethal. Do you realize coronavirus is basically the, I don't know, 127 or wherever there are. They generally don't become more lethal. No. They do become more transmissible. Yeah, but that's how viruses work. But what they do become in order to survive, because this is their survival mechanism, is that they need to be able to, to be transmissible. If they kill their host, they don't become transmissible. So this is why Ebola burned out so quick because Ebola is, it's not hugely transmissible, but it is highly deadly. It has like so, a 10% mortality rate for Ebola. Right. And because I'm sorry, it kills, 70% mortality rate for Ebola. So it kills its host so quickly that they don't have a chance to spread it. That's a real concern uh, when it comes to a virus coronavirus coronavirus is the common cold and i think there's 
and don't quote me on this, but I, I think there's something like 127 varieties of the common cold. And one of the reasons that adults don't catch the common cold as much is because they've had it you know, so many times when they were younger that they become immune to it. Their T cells react. And you still generally um, get one good cold per year. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many of them. Now, the trouble but they're with, not lethal. But, but the trouble with coronavirus, with the virus load, is the cytotoxicity of the spike protein. So it, it's not that the virus itself kills you. It is all of the organ damage that it causes whenever you're under a heavy viral load. That seems to be what's killing people. So it's, it's not the virus is killing them. The secondary effects of its very structure are killing people. And it kills people who are already immunocompromised. Yeah, they have so some they, sort they, of comorbidity. Right. So, I mean, the, the people, most people who get it have, you know, a flu-like symptom or a cold-like symptom um, because they're younger, they're healthier, and they're, they've been exposed to a lot of other coronaviruses. It seems to prey mostly on the old and the sick. So, yeah, let's cover those people. You know, Ron DeSantis actually did that that's where he concentrated his first foray uh into getting people uh the jab was in the old and the sick and that seemed to work out wonderfully well now we're getting there's a a couple of things that come up here with that um the the generalized vaccine mandates i have some problems with because i have listened to people like geert van den bosch who i don't know if he's correct but i can't find anything that would say that he was wrong which is that if you already have a virus that is in the wild and that already has variants in the wild then by doing a mass vaccine program rather than concentrating on the people who are most at risk of dying from that virus and just saying everybody from 12 years old and up all have to have 100% vaccinations then what you're doing is throwing additional evolutionary pressure on that virus to ultimately come up with uh, with a vaccine-resistant strain or one right. that your whatever your vaccination was, it just becomes, you know, you get vaccine escape. And now no vaccine works against it. Right. Yeah, you get the, the, um, the vaccine-resistant. And we've seen this with MRSA. We've seen this with... Um, uh, staff infections. And we've, we've seen, seen it we've with seen coronavirus because South America right. now has the Lambda version, uh, the Lambda uh, variant, which appears to be uh, fairly vaccine resistant. Right. So here's the problem, or here's the, uh, the, the, the real question. The variants are more communicable, but they're less deadly. That has been virology forever since virology was even a thing uh you know since like the late 1800s we know that viruses mutate because that's what they do in order to survive but they become less virulent because the ones that are deadly don't survive as long the ones that are less deadly survive longer and this is just natural selection right down the line and we know this we have known this for literally over a century century and a half um so what's different now why is it all of a sudden delta oh delta is gonna oh land is gonna kill us all no it's not there are gonna be people who get sick 
just like uh, people get the flu or a common cold. I mean, it's coronavirus because, and this is this is what kills me. Coronavirus is every common cold, and it's named after its shape. You know, it looks like a crown, so it's corona. Every single one of them operate the same way. They become more transmissible and less deadly. Although I do believe the common cold is a rhinovirus, not a coronavirus. The rhinovirus is actually the one that uh, makes you puke all the time, and it's hugely transmissible. But again, it, it is not, um, it, it's not deadly because the, 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 the strain that survives doesn't kill its host. And that, I mean, this is its whole point to, to being, is to survive. Well, I, if I think it kills them off too quickly, then it doesn't survive. And I think over and above that, what we learned this week is, well, you know, it appears that the vaccine is good for, you know, six-ish months or so. And then you're probably going to need a fourth shot, maybe a, or a third shot, maybe a, a fourth one six months down. The, you know, it, may, it just may be that you'll need regular booster shots. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that what we have is a vaccine. Well, and that's what uh, bothers me. So, you know, I have youngish kids and my oldest, uh, 18, is going off to college and they're insisting on him being vaccinated. He doesn't want to get vaccinated. And frankly, I, I kind of agree with him. I think it'd be better for him to COVID. He's 18. You know, if he gets natural immunity, he's going to be far stronger against the virus than he would be if he got a shot and i don't know what the shot's gonna do well, now i i've gotten here's... the shots my, my wife has gotten the shots but i mean you know we're older and you know fuck us i, I don't really care here's but, here's the thing though um the uk released a study today a, a very large-scale study in the uk that shows that people who catch coronavirus end up with significant cognitive effects. Right. Yeah, they're seven times more likely to uh, uh, keep uh, the antibodies around or something like that. It's, it really is a... And, the, the, and this is just goes back to what I talked about with Bruce last week. The CDC at no point has ever said, look, if you want to work, like with masks, look, we don't have enough science to know whether they work or not. Um, if you want to wear a mask, it makes you feel comfortable wearing a mask. We just we just don't know. Um, the the vaccines, yeah, they they look good, but we don't have a long term safety profile on them. We don't know of any long term safety issues, but you know, hey, thalidomide. What what do you know? Um, right. So, you know, <laughs> if if you are older and an at risk group. The risk versus the benefits probably say you should get the vaccine. If you're young, exactly. maybe you shouldn't get the vaccine. We exactly. just don't know. It is a novel coronavirus. We've never run across it before. It's the first time it's ever been released into the wild. We're just guessing about all this stuff. We're trying to make really good guesses, but we're just guessing. Uh, but, of course, we don't do that. We get these oracular pronouncements. No, a mask will be completely useless for you to wear. There are no masks within 100 miles that will help you here. Um, to, well, not, mask, you have to wear two. 
Clearly, one is not good enough within the space of three months. Um, yeah, they've they absolutely destroyed their credibility. And, and like, I, I don't trust them anymore. I don't know about you, but I, I don't trust them at all. And, and by and, the way, in just the last month, we have gone from, hey, you're vaccinated. You don't need to wear a mask. Fuck that shit, to, hey, it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not. You better get that mask on. This is some serious business, folks. Uh, delivered with the same tone of oracular authority uh, right. that they did with the, pronounce, the pronouncement that they are now completely contradicting. Well, you know, and, and it's funny because, you know, I live in a pretty liberal area as do you well maybe i don't know it's probably close <laughs> um and you know i, I don't wear a mask I, I i'm i didn't like wearing a mask back when everybody had to wear a mask but i did it because you know whatever i, I need to go grocery shopping but i don't wear a mask now and i see so many people with masks and they give me these like awful looks and i just like get vaccinated well, see, here's the, here's the problem. Um, these masks have now become these these talismanic tokens. Exactly. And I don't know of any good, so other than perhaps a KN95 mask with no, you know, emitter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, these surgical masks I see people wearing these they stupid these stupid cloth masks. I'm sorry. Um, I, I enjoy cotton as much as the next guy. I'm a big fan of wearing natural fibers anytime I, I, I'm allowed. But if you think that a couple of folds of cotton are going to filter out viruses, I got I got some super bad news for you. They're just not. Um, and so the vast hey, majority of masks... fart through jeans? Yeah. Then guess what? <laughs> it ain't stopping a virus. And the vast majority of the masks that people wear are completely useless but if i wanted to go to the store and just wrap a shema around my face and uh, uh, throat they would let me right in oh you have a face covering so your magical talisman will now protect right. you. <laughs> that's exactly what it is too well and more than that it's it's a virtue signaling thing um you know i'm more moral than you i i, I uh I, you know i cover my face because I care about people. Oh, really? How many soup kitchens have you worked in in the last year? <laughs> you know? I care I mean, about people. You. I care about people in a way that inconveniences me to the smallest degree humanly possible. Right. And what what I don't like about the mask is that, and I've talked to several doctors about this, is that they actually if, viral load is a big deal. Yeah, and they've made it. They've made that clear. Uh, when when they falsely claim that um, uh, people who are vaccinated carry the same viral load as uh, unvaccinated, and that's not true, and that's just been shown to be not true recently. But what you are doing is you're collecting. If there's virus, if there is coronavirus uh, around you, it's collecting on that damn mask. And it's right there in front of your face. So you're basically a coronavirus a virus catcher. That's what you're wearing. I saw a, a newspaper article from 1919 
where of course there were Spanish flu, yeah. There were some mask mandates back then as well. And it was interviews with a bunch of physicians who were saying most of you most of you hayseeds and rubes don't even know how to wear a mask and if you do, you don't know how to take care of it and they're just turning into bacteria factories. Right. I mean, th- this has not changed. Nothing, nothing is new here. And yet people wear them religiously. And they got their designer masks and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they, they don't. Well, and, and well, I wash it regularly. Oh, do you really? Uh, do you wash it every time you go out? Or do you wash it like, you know, once a week, a couple times a week? I mean, if you're not washing it every single time you go out into the public, you're, you're not doing shit. And even your washing probably isn't doing much unless you're using antiseptic soap. I mean, it, it's just, it's just mind boggling to me to that, that virtue signaling has gone to this degree and that's all it is. It's virtue signaling. I'm more moral than you. Yeah. Well, fuck you. You know, if, if you really wanted to have a pair of uh, uh, some PPE that might actually help you, um, and I, I've never seen a single person ever wear it uh, other than for, you know, basically a joke, what you would get is the microclimate air, which is the full head over helmet with the Lexan face shield. I'm sharing it on Zoom with Michael now. I'm sorry the rest of you can't see it. But this is the microclimate air. And it's basically a space helmet for coronavirus. <laughs> that is a space helmet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an astronaut helmet. It's called the Microclimate Air. Um, it costs like $250. Danger rule ones and danger rule ones. <laughs> exactly. I mean, th- there's, there's so much 1960s science fiction coming off of this that it's hard to believe. And uh, there, was a, there was an actual article on the SF gate. Um, by Drew uh, Maggery, who said, I tested the dumbest PPE of all time, the rich guy COVID helmet, uh, which is the microclimate air. And he has several pictures of both the helmet itself. And the way that it works, it actually has a fan inside. and It's got HEPA filters, and it just sucks air through these HEPA filters and you know, sprays that air you know, in the helmet to keep it from fogging up. That That's beautiful. Is that, this one? Go back, go back to that. Go down. Yeah, that. This one, there he is, right there, just wearing the <laughs> microclimate air helmet. But honestly, as 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 mind-bogglingly stupid as that is, uh, the or as uh, at least as it looks, um, the the fact is that it is probably the only. Your phone is talking to you. Why is my phone talking? Oh, that's the Reason Roundtable, which started uh, automatically. But the, that is really the only piece of PPE that would actually really protect you. It's fully That's HEPA right. filtered. It completely encloses your head. Um, so you could stand right next to somebody who's just hacking up a lung with coronavirus, and you'd be perfectly fine. you won't fine. get TB. You won't get the flu. You won't get anything. <laughs> no, but if you think that that cloth mask that you wear, and I remember um, I went to my mom's house, and she has her cloth mask in her car, and I actually picked it up and looked at it. And she's a nurse. She's an RN. And the inside was just caked with makeup and everything else. I was like, yeah, she's she's been real protective of herself. <laughs>
you know, the, the, the masks are a totem. And that's well, all that's they exactly are. Well, that's exactly what they are. They're a totem. They, 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 don't, they, they represent nothing other than, uh, like I said, virtue signaling. I mean, it, it's, it has nothing to do with actual protection and has everything to do with signaling that, you know, I'm on the team. I'm on the team of, uh, you know, going overboard to protect other people. And they're just so full of shit. They're absolutely full of shit. And look, I, we, if I drive down the street, now I don't leave the house much, but when I do and I drive down the street, I see people walking by themselves on the sidewalk wearing masks. Just out in the open, 30, 40 yards away from the nearest person, all wearing masks. Why? I see people in their car wearing masks, driving down the street in their air-conditioned vehicle. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. You are literally safer standing seven feet away from someone outdoors, unmasked, than you are fully masked up inside you know your living room. Uh, and Michael, you appear to have muted yourself. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I was. Uh digging for ice ah okay so i didn't want to uh interrupt no, you. I get you. There. no i i i've seen that too and all i can think is you know what wh- i mean what are you worried about you know they had uh an expose of uh some family i think it was in florida um yeah, it was that little girl, uh, like 12 years old, who had written to DeSantis or the school board or something to impose masks. And it shows them sitting around playing a board game, all wearing masks. And I'm just like, what? What? what are you worried about? Like, literally, what are you so worried about? And if you want to wear a mask, wear one. You know what? Look, I, I'm probably going to judge you internally, but I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, but this whole thing about having all these elementary school children now having to wear masks, you know, basically, it's so stupid. all the time they're in school. Yeah, and, you know, here's the thing. My kids do not really care about wearing the mask. They, like, they're like, ah, whatever. I mean, they have so become adjusted to it that they don't really care. Um, which is fine. You know, I'm not going to stop them. I, I don't think it helps them. Um, but I don't think it hurts them either because they're young. And if they get the coronavirus, I think that's probably the best thing that could happen to them. They'll have a cold for a week if they get anything. I don't think a uh, child under, or I'm, I'm sorry, that's not true. I think in the United States, two children under 12 who have gotten coronavirus have died. Right. So, again, I'm not worried. Their immune systems are great. Um, You know, if they get it, they get it. Uh, Matter of fact, I think it would be better if they got it than getting the jab. Because I don't know what the jab's going to do. I know what the, if they get the coronavirus, I know what that's going to do. It's going to give them immunity. And they're going to suffer nothing more than a cold if they even suffer that. 
And, and by the way, the immunity conferred by actually having coronavirus seems to be substantially more than that which is get, uh, granted by taking the vaccine. Yeah, exactly. Especially if, and as I, we now know, the vaccines are good for what appears to be about six months. Which I just don't understand. Uh, the, the, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Especially the mRNA ones. It's It's like, well, but it's in your RNA. That should activate the T cells. So I don't, I don't, but it seems like so much of this is panic porn, you know, just to get a rise out of people and get them into, I need to fear for my safety mode. And then the call for government action, which, what the fuck is the government going to do? I mean, the the best that the government did was the whole uh, warp speed thing, which was, basically uh short circuiting the fda fda approval process what the government is going to do is is put top men on it top <laughs> men that's always encouraging by which i mean you know tony fauci right <laughs> and i I've, I've been very interested in watching rand paul go after tony fauci by the way that has been fun, actually. Because Fauci doesn't have a leg to stand on. Although I do notice that the CDC removed the funding page from their website that showed how much money went to that uh, Echo Health Alliance, which they then went straight to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to do research, which uh, um, is... Not gain of function research, but research about how viruses become more transmissible, which is a completely different thing. Totally different. <laughs> no, Rand Paul has been, uh, you know, and it helps that he's a doctor as well. Yeah, he's an ophthalmologist, but he still had to go to doctor school. You know, he, he's actually had to study things like virology. He, he's certainly. I, I mean, I'm going to give Anthony Fauci the, the benefit of the doubt that he knows a lot more about virology than Rand Paul, but Rand Paul knows a lot of the basics and he knows how to read uh, the reports and the studies and those sorts of things. And he's used his, uh, his seat to really put it to Fauci. And I agree with Rand Paul. I mean, I haven't heard him utter anything uh, false. I haven't heard him push any narrative that, that couldn't be backed up. Um, I've heard Fauci like, you know, definitely, uh, dissemble and, uh, try to, you know, use words to work around what he found. Troubling. Yeah. Well, you know, that last, that last go around Fauci just lost it. And he just flat out said, what you're trying to say is that I'm responsible for creating coronavirus. Well, nobody, well, and... no, well, nobody has actually <laughs> said that. But well, now that you bring it up, on the topic. <laughs> let's talk about that $6 million that you sent off to the Echo Health Alliance, who then sent it directly to the Wuhan Institute of Virology in the appropriate time frame. What was going on there? Yeah, uh, all Anthony Fauci I, knows was it wasn't gain of function research, whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and look, I mean, the, the, 
which elides, by the way, which elides by the uh, right past the fact that he wasn't supposed to be sending any money there at all anyway, exactly. because the Obama administration had said no. They had already put a moratorium on that, which is why he tried to do it in China uh, through a, 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 a third, third party. party. Through a grant so that, you know, right. hey, wasn't any of our money. Right. We're not researching that at all. My hands are clean, but it, 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 yeah, and it, Hunter Biden it seems like fairly clear. Artist ever. Yeah, it seems. Well, I, you know what? Look, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I have seen uh, the photographs of of Hunter Biden's work. And look, I'm not saying I'd pay half a million bucks for any of it, but he's a fairly talented fellow. He's not. <laughs> I've known him since high school. <laughs> Look, not. as far as the art goes, if that is indeed his art, and the fact that some of it is so good, it makes me wonder if that could possibly be his art. Um, the fact is, I was talking to Chris about it, and she was saying, you know what? I would put some of that stuff on my wall. Yeah. The thing is that Hunter can't draw a human figure with any thing less than a stick figure. He has no idea about art. He can put smears together and whatever else and call it art. And, you know, people will buy it. I mean, think about it. Back in, I think it was the 1960s, there was uh, an art exhibit uh, being put on at the Louvre. And a janitor had come in to clean up like cups and whatever else and left his broom sitting against a pedestal and some stuff he was going to come back and clean up later. And everybody <laughs> went through this art exhibit, thought that was one of the pieces, and they just loved it. They were like, oh, my God, this is so perfect. This is amazing. It shows the blah, 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 blah. It shows the it, – it, it's, it's the anguish of the working class. <laughs> And it was literally trash swept up by the janitor he hadn't picked up yet. I mean, yeah, look, that, that's I, true. I, I don't, but, I don't trust the art world at all. Well, neither, and, neither do I in general. Certainly not when it comes to modern art. But some of his impressionistic stuff, yes, it is not uh, full human figures. He doesn't. He he's not Norman Rockwell. Uh, let's put it that way in his art style. No, but he he does appear to have an eye for for color and. Some for composition. Now, look, you know the All guy. I, know is I don't. He never showed up in any art class that I was ever in, and well, one of my <laughs> classmates, who uh, I graduated with, is now in charge of all the Disney art. He's actually a very, very famous artist, um, and nothing I've seen of Hunter even comes close. I, 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 I will admit that there is some suspicion at the sudden emergence of this artistic talent uh, hitherto unknown at any point in his life I mean at least with George W. Bush he'd like puttered around with painting for 30 years yeah right I mean and he's drawn like himself in the bath and like dogs and stuff. dogs playing poker I always think, I always think about uh, you remember um, in Goodfellas where uh, the mom of uh What's his face? Um, Joe Pesci. The little guy. Joe Pesci, yeah. And they go, they stop over after they killed some guy. Well, and they didn't finish the, the job. 
but you know, they, they're having breakfast and, and she's sitting down with them. She shows in the picture. Oh, I love it. This dog goes one way. The other dog goes the other way. This old man is like, you know, what do I care? <laughs> <laughs> and then he asked if he could borrow his mom's kitchen. knife. <laughs> Yeah, we we're gonna saw the leg off of this deer. You can't leave it. It's like yeah. stuck in the <laughs> Yeah, there's a mom who's just not up on what's going on, clearly. <laughs> Why don't you talk, Henry? You're so quiet. <laughs> because there's a there's a fucking body in the trunk of my car. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, um, let's see. The only other thing I can think of that is of some interest to me. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things of some interest, but in in the time that we have left is this drone attack that the Iran- Iranians launched on this uh, cruise ship, or not cruise ship, a, a cargo ship, uh, where they launched a couple of unsuccessful drone attacks, and then they just decided to hit it with military ordnance and killed a couple of people. And now the Israelis are talking about, well, we're we're not going to let that go unanswered, uh, which <laughs> kind of seems to me to be uh, a bit of a flashpoint at the moment. Yeah, and what is the government doing? Or our government doing? Nothing. Not a thing. Um, I, I yeah, that is worrisome, and it shows how the difference between the, the Trump administration, which was putting pressure on Iran, and Russia. Uh, which is basically their benefactor, um, it w- worked. I mean, it, it was tamping things down. And with I- Israeli uh, intelligence, which is probably the most excellent in the world, um, being able to suss these things out and you know preclude a lot of uh, nastiness, the fact that this got by and they're using basically our technology to do this shit because we just fucking gave it to them. Uh, that just, that drives me up the wall. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know a lot about it. I, I, I've seen the reports, but I haven't delved into it. What worries me is that we're going to get into another Straits of Hormuz um, battle. That's exactly uh, right. I, I, I I don't relish that battle. Um, at the same time, I think Iran needs to be shut down. And I'm not a McCain, you know, bomb, 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 bomb. <laughs> I get that that was kind of funny when he did that. Um, I, I, I do think that we need to start cornering Iran. And th- this administration is doing the exact opposite. It, 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 you know, it goes back all the way to the Obama administration, which is yeah. basically let's just give Iran a pass on the whole revolution thing and, and the whole shutting down the protests. Well, what the hell? Let's give them 192 million bucks. We'll just deliver it to them in, well, it, in pallets of cash. Back, it goes even back further than that. The, the, uh, uh, it was during the Bush administration they had that commission. And I think it was like Baker and uh, somebody else who uh, were, you know, in charge of it. And their idea was that, well, we need to to center Iran 
as the controller of the Middle East, and that will make the problems go away, which was stupid on its that, face. That, that's literally one of the dumbest ideas I ever heard. Okay, right. you're going to make a Shiite um, religious uh, autocracy the major power... That's a revolutionary yeah, autocracy. A, a major power in a largely Sunni Arab world. And you think right. that's going to work out fine, do you? Yeah, it was It was always stupid. Um, th- their thinking, from what I could understand, was that it's the most powerful nation, the most advanced nation outside of Israel, um, to control all the Arabs. And it was essentially to counter Saudi Arabia's uh, dominance, which is, it, it does have a lot of true dominance. Um, and Saudi Arabia is not, you know, it's not beyond the pale. I mean, it, it, it or it is beyond the pale. It, it's, it's not uh, by any means a free nation, although... MBH has has been doing some things that that have least steered towards that idea. Iran is doing nothing. the The idea of giving Iran more power and more prominence is it's just it, it's just stupid. That uh, there's literally nothing good to come of that. It is the number one um, world. Uh, progenitor of terrorists it spends more money on terrorist actions than any other country in the world and a lot of it does open you know it it almost seems like a a simplistic throwback to the days of you know how do you keep peace well you have great powers and you keep peace between these opposing um, blocks of great power allies and we can make Iran the great power in the Mideast, and that will bring everybody else in line. And then, of course, there's Israel. That will be the opposing power to the great power block there, backed up by us. And we'll just have sort of an uneasy truce. Um, and it's a great idea in theory, or rather it would be, if it were not for the experience of August 1914. Right, exactly. Metternich, uh, Metternich set this up. I mean, under the auspices of uh, Bismarck, but uh, Metternich was the one that that set this. I wrote this post a long, long time ago about uh, Metternicking the Middle East, and that's exactly what the powers to be have been doing. They think that if they can set up this power balance that uh, basically puts Israel in a corner and unites all the, the, the Arab tribes, then everything will be just fine. And that makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, A, the the Arab tribes are not one. The the Sunnis and the Shiites hate each other almost as much as they hate Israelis. (laughs) And the idea that Israel is just going to be, you know, cornered and, you know, not do anything on its own it's ridiculous. They, 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 I mean, man for man, I mean, hell, woman for woman, they've got uh, one of the best fighting forces on the face of the planet, and they need it. And it's also, 
mean, they, they maintain a really good social order because they protect their borders and they don't, you know, put up with, with the intransigence that goes on around them. Now, I, I feel really bad for the Palestinians because they're basically the, the uh, pawns in the game. They are um, kind of left to die uh, and to, uh, you know, proselytate themselves in front of, you know, is, Israeli mortars uh, because that's what the, the, the kingdoms uh, who support them want. They want them to be a thorn in the side of Israel, even though it's not going to make any difference, but it gives them moral authority. So they think. And meanwhile, the Sunnis and the Shiites, I mean, look at Yemen. What's going on in Yemen? I mean, it's, it's all about warfare over there. And that's a Sunni Shiite thing. And that doesn't get talked about it ever. And that's basically, uh, you know, uh, an, an Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran proxy war, right? Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I don't think there's any other way that you could describe it. So how is giving Iran uh, our imprimatur going to help anything? It's not. It's going to exacerbate the situation. At least Saudi Arabia is starting to move towards more liberal um, uh, ideas and social functions. The only, Iran's the, never going to be that. The only upside to all this that I can see is if, if the Israelis do decide to do something against Iran, and there is talk of them doing so, um, I suspect that the Saudis, while they might you know, make the appropriate mouth noises in public, uh, would be privately congratulating Israel for having taken the Iranians on. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, one of the great things about the Abraham Accords, and talk about i mean th that that is probably the most um impactful and uh historic uh conclusions or uh well at least treaties or you know whatever you want to call it um agreements uh that has happened since camp david under uh, uh carter I mean, that, that was that, that was huge and it was dismissed by the left because Israel was coming out on top. And that's just it, it, it's absolutely insane. Israel is not attacking and taking over land. The whole idea that and this drives me nuts. Occupation. Right. Israel is occupying. Really? And they try to couch it. This is a whole Mont and Bailey thing, right? They couch it in, well, they're occupying uh, Palestine, the West Bank. Well, no, they're not. I mean, they they left there years ago. Oh, well, th there's there's still opera, uh, um, um, occupying Palestine, and th the left is very reluctant to say it. But what they mean is that Israel shouldn't exist. Israel exists, right? From the river to the sea, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, look, last thing before we go, uh, I note this week that one of the results of the worst insurrection in the United States since the Civil War, 
culminated in the conviction of some fella for unlawful parading. <laughs> you know, he'll have, I can't tell he'll, you how many times <laughs> I wanted to charge a mummer with that. Well, he'll have. You know what the mummers are? He'll have two months in jail to think about what he did trying to overthrow the government of the United States. Do you know what the mummers are? Uh, I've heard of them. Yeah, so it's a Philly thing. The mummer parade is this really gaudy, uh, crazy parade that goes on. It's in like December. I think it's like Thanksgiving, I think. No, so, yeah, so November, um, and it's 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 a Philly thing, and it's it's the Mummer Parade. It's it's a huge thing uh, uh, around the Philly area, and they are like ridiculous in their costumes and whatever. And that to me is, you know, parading illegally. I I, I kind of don't like it. Unlawful parading. Yeah, that's the actual charge. Now, there is one fellow, though, who appears to have pled guilty, and he looks like he's going to get another eight months, uh, and perhaps even longer than that, because obstructing a public official can carry a 20-year sentence. I think they're, I said eight months, I think it's actually 40 months that they're they're talking, 41 to 45, that they're talking about for him. But it's, it's interesting that, that the Democrats will not let go that this was an insurrection. They were trying to overthrow the government of the United States, which, you know, in, in a crowd that large, I'm sure there was someone there that wanted to overthrow the government of the United States. But um, how would that work? I, like, I don't even understand the charge. Like, you can meet anywhere. The, <laughs> I mean, it's a building. Well, you can't you, meet in you that can building. Literally meet, yeah, okay. How do you overthrow the government of the United States? Well, the whole, the whole thing is that, that what they were doing was they were going in there, they were apparently going to kidnap all of the elected representatives, and then they were going to force them to make Donald Trump the president, um, after which he would declare martial law. And, and be, I, I, I'm not entirely hey, yeah, sure. Nobody's been charged with that. Nobody's been charged with any of that. Well, no, not, not, not yet. But, I mean... Still, they, they they were awfully unpleasant, some of these fellows, and, and so they're being charged, essentially, for being awfully unpleasant. But hey, you know what? No Look, one has been charged for sedition. Down. No one has been charged for sedition. No one has been That's charged right. for insurrection. Um, these charges are all either freaking class A misdemeanors or D felonies. Right. I mean, look. The people who broke down doors and assaulted officers, you know, charging. I, I want throw them, the book at them. Uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, the people who were escorted through the ropes, <laughs> like literally did a sightseeing tour. I mean, come on, are you fucking kidding me? Well, the FBI has their sights on six hundred people who were in that building, and and. Uh... They're treating them all as if they were insurrectionists, certainly in the way that they're holding so many of them without bail and and whatnot. I, although I'm not sure what flight risk these people pose. Well, and they end yeah, up being they charged. Been... They end up being charged with, you know, either obstruction or you know disorderly conduct or the like. Um, nobody's being charged with actually trying to overthrow the government of the United States. Right, and yet. All these people who have attacked uh, federal buildings 
on a regular basis, including last week, um, for at least a year, they get they don't even get charged. Even if they get arrested, they get released and no charges. Yeah, I mean, it it just seems a little inconsistent based on all of the mostly peaceful protests um, yeah. that went on. Peaceful but fiery. Yeah, all through the summer. Um, yeah, yeah. what was it? Fiery but mostly peaceful. I'll never forget right. that image of the With guy fire. standing in front of a burning neighborhood. Fiery but mostly peaceful <laughs> protests. Yeah, it looks it. All's well. <laughs> and these people aren't getting oh charged. God, I mean, so no, look, some of them have been charged, obviously. Um, but... You know, there's certainly there has certainly not been the same sort of concerted effort on the behalf of our federal law enforcement officials for tracking these people down, tossing them into prison for months awaiting trial. Uh, none of that's happened. Yeah, but, exactly. And, and look, I mean, I don't have a problem with the people who are violent on January 6th. Uh, I, yeah, throw the book at them. I, I have no problems with that whatsoever. Matter of fact, I'm behind you 100%. They should not have done it. It was, uh, it, it was counterproductive and it, it was stupid and it was violent. And I, I, I don't want that. That's not my style of politics. And by but the way, what? what it allows the Biden administration to do now is to paint everybody who's a Donald Trump supporter as some sort of nascent domestic terrorist. And it's given Merrick Garland basically a green light to go after, you know, anybody who says boo on Facebook if he wants. Well, and that's what they're trying to do. That, that's the new. Uh, um, so I get I, part of it's been. uh explained as we're going after people who are spreading disinformation, which is not the federal government's job. Um, and part of it has been explained as we're going after white supremacists, which, you know, I, I think you could probably round them up into the entire rotunda of uh, the Congress and still have a lot of room left over. Um you know, remember back in the Charlottesville thing, right? And there was that uh, reporter who uh, supposedly embedded herself with a bunch of white supremacists who were down there to cause mayhem. I've never seen any of those people ever again. Why is that? I, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, it just it makes me wonder, like. Who were they really? Were they really white supremacists? I mean, why did they allow a reporter with them? And why haven't I heard of them showing up in any other protests? Why haven't I heard boo about them since Charlottesville? Well, all, all I'll say is this. Uh, you look around at your next Patriots group meeting. Uh, the guy in the brand new flannel shirt and the trucker hat with no uh, sweat ring around the band. That is the Fed, in case you were wondering. That's the plant. <laughs> that guy's the Fed. Well, look, Michael, have a great week. We will. I you too. We'll pick it up next time, and we'll talk to you All later. Right, buddy. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Observations Q&A podcast for Friday the 6th of August, 2020. 
21, as always, I appreciate the fact that you've uh, tuned into the podcast on behalf of Bruce and Michael. This is Dale Frank saying thanks for listening. We hope you'll be listening again next time. Until then, have a great week, everybody. So long.